Totally Football Show. Let's talk about Champions League. Let's talk about match fatigue. Let's talk about 90 minutes almost entirely devoid of intrigue. Let's talk about six, the little bit you did in your mouths when Klopp did that salt and pepper routine post-game. It is our Champions League special listener, Liverpool 2, Spurs nil. Harry the Hendersons et al. in a very special edition of the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. How are you? With us today, a panel that's hoping in some way to live up to the drama of Saturday's game at the Wanda Metropolitano. We've got James Horncastle. Hi, James. We've got Duncan Alexander. Hi, James. Hi. And we've got, just back off the plane from Madrid via Porto, Sasha Gurionov. Hi, James. Um, Hi. Yeah, they seem to be very impressed no, I'm not very impressed with the game at all. Right. <laughs> I'm not well, sure they'd like to do that. I bet you, I'm sure, had a, an incredible night, a night that will live with you forever. For many of the rest of us watching at home, it was more like no wonder Max gave up his seat. <laughs> um, was I, it really special there, though? Um, I think I think it is a type of game you have to be there, perhaps to be emotionally invested in it, to find mm-hmm. it interesting, intriguing, and um, quite, quite tense. Um, and, of course, the release of the tension when Origi scored... The second goal was absolutely incredible, uh, but I think I, I think Spurs found themselves in a very unenviable situation, whereby Liverpool get the early goal and then they basically ask of Spurs, Spurs, what can you do? What can you do? And as it turned out, not very much for a long time. I should point out at this juncture that Sasha hasn't actually gone to bed, so I've no idea how long he's going to last. <laughs> and we're uh, recording late on a Sunday. Late on a well. Sunday. Can, can we hurry up, please? <laughs> so after the game, you went out on. Yeah. I mean, Central Madrid. Streets full of people, Spurs and Liverpool fans mixing very amicably. Um, very nice atmosphere throughout the whole weekend. I know this, the Spanish, uh, like Marca, had the front page mm. of potential trouble, potential trouble. None of that, to be honest. The two sets of fans as unaggressive as their teams have been for 90 minutes at the Wanda Metropolitana. Uh, but, <laughs> but let's just salute one or two Liverpool heroes, shall we, Sasha, while you're still uh, conscious. Uh, who do You mentioned Origi, the extraordinary career parabola that he's on, as I think Football 365 mentioned not that long ago, mm. he was on L'Equipe's worst players of the 2014-2015 Ligue 1 season. Yeah, L'Equipe notoriously hard to believe, where even if you put in a 7 out of 10 performance by most people's assessment, they'd give you a 3. So that's really quite some going for Origi to get on the worst team of the season. But talk about unlikely heroes, it's not just about the final with him either he's popped up regularly this season with big goals big moments be it in the Premier League be it in the Champions League it must be fun being him right now he's he's had nine shots on target this season in the Champions League and Premier League combined and he's scored with six of them he's only ever had three shots at all in the Champions League and he's scored with all three of them so that's efficiency (laughs) that's efficiency that's incredible I think this is just vindication do you remember when Liverpool signed Origi and there was much fanfare and he had to stay where was he at Lille was it Uh, for for a season yeah. for a season and they were like can't we bring forward his transfer we need Origi well they were right all along because he's the Champions League winning striker that is Divock Origi and the Champions League semi-final winning striker as well Um, and I think think Origi has had a very unfortunate turn of career three years ago when he was crocked in the derby uh, by Funis Mori uh, when Liverpool were 3-4-0 up and he hasn't really recovered from that injury since he never really picked up his form but if you want to talk about other heroes and basically this final being very much anti-Kiev. So you get first first couple of minutes, Salah gets on the score sheet. Right. And, of course, I think it's been much discussed, but the goalkeeping. 
Uh, I mean, the difference is it's enormous. Triumph won by Roma, essentially. This is what you're talking well, about, Salah and Allison. I mean, I, uh, I mean, it's it's hard to argue with it with this line of argument, but clearly. At Roma, they bring the players up really, really well. <laughs> um, but you have to, if you look at yesterday's game, um, Alisson doesn't have that much to do for the first probably 70 minutes. Yeah. And then when he has to do something, he does it calmly, coolly. He's very composed technically. He's incredible. He doesn't seem to feel any of this pressure. And which brings him back to last season's semi final against Roma. He went to Anfield, he conceded five goals, and he looked to be completely unruffled by it. He just kept on doing everything correctly as he would on the training pitch. And he was like, well, I'm doing all I can. Five goals going, sometimes this happens. On Saturday, we're seeing that apparently there's pressure. Apparently, Spurs, are, Spurs want to equalise, but he just makes no mistakes. Well, it was, yeah, I mean, the point is that Spurs didn't have a shot on target till late on in the game. And then he, then they went on to have eight. He made eight saves, which is the most uh, by any goalkeeper in a Champions League final in the data being recorded for games era, as I like to call it. 2004-05 era. Yeah. Those eight saves actually put him at the top of the Yeah, I think the only other keeper that final. has kept as many was Edwin van der Sar against Barcelona uh, in 2011, but he let in three goals. So it really was a, a man of the match performance. But because he had to wait so long in the game to do it, that kind of only you know makes it more impressive. Exactly, because he maintains the focus. And also, I think it's worth mentioning that seven of those shots came in 80th minute or later. Mm. So uh, he really switched on when he had to. And you could see the Liverpool players' reaction after the final whistle. Once everyone kind of stopped falling over and stuff, they all ran towards Alisson to right. give him a huge hug and congratulations. Basically, big thanks. Sasha and I were kind of reeling off Alisson's big moments in the Champions League this season and it's not just one performance in a in the biggest game of all but you go back to that save on Milik mm. at Anfield in what stoppage time yeah, like the second minute yeah and uh, yeah, he's had so many and highlights save, saves against Barcelona in the 4-0 that 4-0 was far from 4-0 I mean he rescued Liverpool at least three times in that game and you look at him and this it's not easy for a goalkeeper to come into this league remember you know David De Gea struggles in his first season whereas Alisson comes in gets the most clean sheets Liverpool can see only 22-23 goals it's absolutely incredible You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power Tell you what uh, another exciting stat no opposition player has dribbled past Virgil van Dijk in any of his last 64 appearances in all competitions for Liverpool. Yes. That's crazy. That is crazy. 64 games in a row that no one's gone past him. I mean, a few people have pointed out that central defenders, particularly elite clubs, don't get dribbled at very often. But there was a key moment in that game when van Dijk stopped Son from going through one-on-one, doing exactly that. So I think then also the key thing is, can you name the last player to do it? which is one of the ages, because it's Mikel Moreno. Oh, I was just going to say. All right. But now the moment's <laughs> gone. <laughs> so, uh, other players that no doubt you're knitting into your scarf even as we speak, Sasha, might include Robbo and Trent, the, the flying fullbacks, or perhaps Hendo and Hendo's dad. To be honest, you could go through the whole team. The whole team. The, I mean, the, I mean it, it might sound like a cliche, but they all really stepped up. They performed way above expectations this season. I mean, you can include Matip in there as well. But I think the scenes with Henderson, you know, Jordan Henderson, not very much favoured by one Julian Lawrence. Right. Um, but this, the scenes with him and his father, him with Klopp, I mean, it's, I think, it was it was a performance of great maturity from, from Liverpool. Emotional maturity as well, because the emotions only came out after the final whistle. I think they remained very controlled throughout the game. It's funny, actually, because for most, I think, watching the game, as you say, not emotionally involved, the players were doing anything but living up to expectations. Uh, no lesser figure than Michael Cox had said this game was probably going to be 
a great advert for English football. Instead, <laughs> instead we had people like Laurie, Rory Savage saying, for me, it was just between standing on an upturned plug in the middle of the night and realising you only have coffee revels left. So, so what was the... I like coffee revels. I, I don't like think Rory's such a fan. Yeah. Danny Scott says, where does this final sit in the pantheon of awful finals? Was it worse than Milan-Juve in 2003? I think there were more memorable moments in, in the Juve-Milan game. Really? There were two goals in, in, in regulation time in this. Sure. But there was a great bit of centre-forward play and goalkeeping in that. If you look at the Pippo Inzaghi, Buffon, right. diving header save, magnificent. But yeah, OK. Was it worse than Portugal-Greece in 2004? Do you remember that one? Oh, that was a magnificent... Yeah, that was that was bad. Right. But I think kind of... Man U, that, Chelsea in 2007 FA Cup. Man United, Liverpool 96 FA Cup finals. Okay, uh, yeah, that's, 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 that's probably why. So, okay, um, I mean, you've got some numbers <laughs> for to quantify how bad this game was. Is that right? Well, I'm not... I, see, I'm against kind of saying ranking finals like that because each okay. final is... Is it true, though, as you tweeted, that <laughs> this game had the lowest pass completion rate of any Champions League match this season for most of its duration? For most of the first half, it did, okay. which was a nice little touch. And, and then what happened? And then basically Tottenham started passing the ball a bit better. Liverpool got worse. Liverpool's pass completion in the second half was 59%, which if we take Cardiff as the masters of non-passing, they outdid that in 31 of their 38 Premier League games last wow. season. But Liverpool didn't, as Sasha said, Liverpool didn't need, they were 1-0 up. Tottenham didn't really look like they had a way of getting through at that stage. They didn't need to to do it so you know and th for them it was winning the final after last season it, that was the key thing and, and for me as well looking at that this is what I'm saying was a grown up performance because they've learned I think from Real Madrid they were cynical in this game they were breaking up play they were taking the time over corners over throw-ins and they were intentionally trying to rile Spurs yeah and no, I made a point last night that no one there's not an aesthetic quality of final in the Wikipedia list of European Cup finals because you know Inter in 2010 were not a particularly uh, aesthetically pleasing team when they won the Champions League, but no okay, one really I, talks I about that, that now. I found that game quite thrilling because you had one team that was clearly trying to do something and one team that had a very different idea about how the football game should go. This game here was like two people who've been up all night stumbling around the pitch for most of its duration. So what do you this? think the three-week duration between well, the end okay. of the Premier League Here's and your this... options, Mr Horncastle. Okay. Three-week duration, <laughs> the occasion, the heat and the early penalty. Mm. Which do you go for? Well, I don't think the early penalty had much of an impact. Well, I wondered if it did. Because, I, because Spurs have gone behind in seven of their 13 Champions but League games. But it affected games. Liverpool more than it did then. Yeah, um, but I, I still don't think that's an excuse for it to be as bad a game as it was. Right. Um, what, what's your money on then? I think uh, the three-week interim uh, was a problem because I... I think one of the reasons why these teams were so bad in the first half was a little bit like as we saw in the Europa League uh, game. They're almost they're using that first forty-five minutes to get into some kind of a rhythm, and I don't think either of them ended up getting into a rhythm in this game. Um, Thanks to Liverpool, I think. Yeah, um, and yeah, everyone commented it on it on it being a a furnace. But you know what added to the furnace the pre-match show. 
They okay. actually had oh, flamethrowers on the pitch. It was already plus forty-five. You're kidding? Yeah. I mean, it was ridiculous. How hot was it? Well, it was maybe plus thirty-five. But I played. I played football that morning. It was awful. Right. It was really like I think it was hitting thirty, and by the time the, you know you have the whole day, I don't. I think it was over thirty degrees in the stadium. Right. You were playing in the press game that morning, yeah. were you, Sasha? How did that go? Uh, we lost five-four, but it was a heroic performance. Okay. Who, Sounds who, like who, a thrilling game. Maybe if they televised that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, yeah. We came back from five-one down to almost draw. Right. Who were you playing against? We were playing against the, the Spanish journalists and. We were the UK media, right? Um, luminaries such as you know Sidlow, you right. know Rafa Honigstein. Did he play? Sidlow played played for us. Okay, uh, for the visiting team, and and play manager was uh, John Coleman, the manager of Accrington Stanley. Right. Who back in the day scored 500 goals in non-league football. Okay. Were there fouls? Were there yellow cards in your game? Well, the thing is, yeah. So this was um, in the end, we didn't really have a referee, so we decided to. So, uh, uh, Filippo Marierici, who organized oh, yeah. it on, on, the, yeah. on, the, on the Spanish side, he was a very good host, shall we say, in terms of refereeing and decisions and which way they should right. go. Okay. Because obviously, interpretation of tackles between the two nations is a little bit different. Because this, the, the final later on uh, that day, didn't have any cards in it at all, which I think speaks to the slightly less than intense nature of it from a viewer's perspective. Yeah, it, I mean that's the first time that's happened. Um, it was it was an unusual game. Um, but I think ultimately the people who are going to remember it are the fans of, of Liverpool yeah. and they won't care. And for the, for the fans of Liverpool, uh, you have to remember, Liverpool have only won one trophy in the previous 12 seasons and that's one League Cup. So to win the European Cup, to actually can't go back to the final again. Well, and also go level with Manchester United again on 42 major trophies, which is... I, I, don't, I don't think that's the sort of statistics... I don't think anyone was dancing Manchester. around the pitch shouting 42, <laughs> 42, 42, but... Yeah. Let's talk about 42, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Level 42. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. 4 yeah. plus 2 equals 6 as well. Um, on that, you were saying about the three weeks, which I think most people are now settling on as the reason. Uh-huh. That it, the two teams who'd had two of the most extraordinary Champions League semi-finals in memory could combine to provide such an anodyne spectacle on, on Saturday. Charles Rose says, yeah, interesting to note that the four teams who've been in the two finals, only one Chelsea turned up, in his perception. They're also the only team who played anything like a meaningful game since the season ended. You remember that friendly? Oh, lost his cheek injury. That one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's an interesting point, actually, that they did at least have a proper run out, whereas everybody else seemed to have forgotten what football was. They did, but it was quite soon after the Premier League ended, wasn't it? So oh, right. I did think about it and then sort of semi dismissed. But I, I also do think that Liverpool dictated how the game was going to be played on Saturday did and they? they made it ugly. But they dictated that Spurs should have loads of possession yeah. and every opportunity to try and fashion a shot except for their own incompetence in doing so. Well, no, but Spurs did not really create anything that very was threatening. Spurs. That wasn't Liverpool. No, Spurs but weren't controlled by Liverpool at all. I Had think, they I been they sharper... The, what, Liverpool pressed them back when they wanted. They dropped back inviting Spurs on. There was a number of occasions when Spurs had the ball in such midfield that pass it around and Liverpool would just wait for Spurs to pass it out eventually they could not really find anything incisive in the first half it was quite interesting actually they had to put on the highlights of the first half on the big screens there were no highlights there was like loose passes and you know balls rolling into keepers hands and I think that this is a lot of it is down to Liverpool completely messing with the way Spurs were playing interesting that wasn't the way that no, I mean, sorry but you were this, there this, this, no, but this is just my impression though no, no, I think this also this, this ties into the fact that the Champions League has become this big kind of thing this live event like Eurovision 
something that everyone wants to comment on during it. And and the semi-finals were so amazing and incredible. Everyone was kind of poised to sort of have this Saturday night. You know, the, in a way, the European Cup final has now become what the FA Cup final used to be like. It's that Saturday mm-hmm. at the end of the season when everyone just spends all day talking about it and, and waiting for the game. And then it wasn't the best game, but I think people did overreact a little bit. It wasn't that bad. I think it was performance art to show why we don't want... Uh, the Premier League, we want a European Super League because if we just have these English clubs playing against each other all the time, it's just mm-hmm. boring. Nobody wants that. We need games like Spurs, Ajax, Liverpool, well, Barcelona. Was, I must admit, Basta. that's what I was wondering. If you're yeah. Ajax watching this game, what are you thinking? And then what I was thinking was how different this game would have been with Ajax playing Liverpool or with Spurs playing Barcelona and kind of felt like a little bit more exciting. But that's a, probably a churlish thing to say at this point because it's brilliant for Spurs that they got there. Unbelievably well done to Liverpool to get to the final, suffer all the misfortune and perhaps injustice that you had last year and come roaring back to that incredible domestic campaign, beat Barcelona, get here, win your sixth European honour uh, in this competition and its iterations. Um, what Liverpool did last year in terms of getting beaten in the big game, making the changes that had been shown to be necessary and coming back. Is there a way that you can see Spurs doing something like that next season or in the next few seasons? Well, if you remember, what Liverpool did was they took the defeat very well last year. Klopp was very upbeat about it. Then they then announced the signing of Fabinho the next day. Tottenham announcing a signing would be staggering <laughs> and impressive so they could do but I think I think if you look if you look back Liverpool's Liverpool's reaction to what happened was you know they, they didn't sort of wallow in the misery they just got on with the next season compared to 2014 it was yeah. so different exactly so yes yeah, Spurs could do that but I suspect not yeah I don't think Spurs are going to change how they're run I think we're going to have a fairly well, something that's been consistent not only with last year, where obviously which was a bit of an anomaly in that they didn't sign anyone, but the kind of classic Spurs of negotiate, 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 love the foreplay, not the end stuff. Um, and yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what these talks bring between Richard Pochettino and uh, Daniel Levy and the Spurs hierarchy over the next few days, whether they believe that this is something that they can build on and go somewhere else higher or whether it's it's an end of a cycle in some respects because I look at it and I think can Spurs really do any better than, than what they've achieved over the last three or four years where they've continually... I mean, we were talking about this off-air, Duncan. They've lost 20 games this season. Yeah. Uh, which they've lost. Put, what was the stat about their defeats in the Champions League? <laughs> so Spurs lost five times in the Champions League this season. Only AK Athens lost more, which is not ideal. Like, yeah, as James said, 20 defeats this season the record in a single season is 25 so they're only five defeats short of their club <laughs> record for defeats in the season and got to the cha- uh, Champions League final and qualified again for it so I mean everyone knows Spurs season was odd it does have a sort of vague feeling of Drummond by Leverkusen got to the final mm. and they're very unfancied you know got beaten in a again not brilliant final though Zidane did get a good goal um, a good goal <laughs> a reasonable goal <laughs> um, memorable yeah but uh, it does have, you do wonder whether this was their kind of one shot at winning the big Are one. they that far off, do you think, being a, a, able to compete on a regular basis at this level? Well, you feel that they need a lot of new players to improve and they're very reliant on their manager. If, if Pochettino left Tottenham, would they be able to maintain their current levels? I, I don't think so. I'm Roger Giggs and I want to talk to you about loyalty. I've always lived a loyal life. Always drinking the same pub. Never missed a training session in my life. After all, natural talent is overrated. 
always go to the same gym. Come on, Rod, think of someone that makes you angry. No one comes to mind. Problem is, loyalty gets you nowhere. Live for rewards instead. That's why I'm Paddy's Rewards Club ambassador. Thanks, Paddy. Paddy Power's Rewards Club. Loyalty's dead. Live for rewards. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Other things that you could discuss relating to this final, if you so wish, include Spurs walking on hot coals. Was it a penalty? And I think by now the consensus seems to be yes, rule book in hand it was, but well, spectacle-wise yeah. it wasn't what you'd have wanted. I mean... It was just a very odd thing for Sissoko to do, to have his arm out. I mean, it was a Wayne Hennessy special in this. He didn't know why his arm was out, but it was, and bad things happened. So, um, But actually, if you analyse how the penalty was given, it was, you know, the ball was not forward. Trippier could just kind of let it go out for throwing, and he decides to head it back into the centre of the pitch. That's in the first, at that point, probably first 10, 12 seconds of the match. You know, Spurs... I guess with a bit more kind of professionalism would have just, you know, calmed things down. But they probably didn't expect to concede a penalty. Also build if you have um, Van Dijk dominating Hekane as well, which kind of set the pattern for the rest of the game. The streaker, James, mm. whose Instagram following has apparently leapt. Sasha, is this right? Are you by one, by 1.1 million or so or something like yeah, that. It's up in the kind of two and a half yeah. now or something, yeah. Best action of the first half. She, <laughs> I never really get why people... Remember when the, the ball boy that assaulted Eden Hazard in that League Cup game? Like the day afterwards, his Twitter following just went off the charts. Why are you following him? That is like, he's done the thing he's going to do. He's not going to... I don't get it. Maybe you think he's full of interesting, other interesting stuff. <laughs> uh, she, I think she's the girlfriend of a Russian prankster. Okay. But that's all, all That's all I know about her. I'm not sure what they were supposed to be advertising. There were some Russian um, pitch invasions during the World Cup, of course, which were... Uh, it's rather Pussy different. Riot. Pussy Riot uh, in, yeah, yeah. in the final. And then there was a political yeah. and kind of... With this one, I think it's uh, blatant self-promotion of whatever it is, it is that their business is. Well, nice that the directors denied her the oxygen of, of publicity. <laughs> then, although weird. at the time I was furious. If you see somebody run, you do want to see the, the, the very least them getting tackled, and they cut. He away did a that. great job, the steward. Did he? Yeah. Kept his arms quite low. Right. Um, I think it was quite a textbook appropriate effort. Oh, at, okay. At containment, nice. I think she yeah. wasn't technically a streaker. No, the streaker have to have be completely naked or just partially naked. For me, uh-huh. no clothes, <laughs> no clothes at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, well, that's that then. Uh, yeah, better luck next time to Spurs. Incredible achievement, given the, the parameters with, in, in which Pochettino's been working to, to reach this. But, but for you, Sasha, a night you'll never forget. It was, a, it was a great day. It was a great day in Madrid. And I think Madrid as a host city worked really well as well. Seems to How do you feel about Istanbul next year, eh? Istanbul? Istanbul, well, um, you know, uh, apparently it's no longer a lunar landscape around the stadium anymore. They actually built a whole district around it. Uh-huh. You can get a metro to that at Turk these days. It's all, it's all, you know, it's all improved quite a bit in the last 15 years. And it's worth mentioning as well that the, the Super Cup uh, is going to be played in the middle of August in Istanbul as well, at the Besiktas Stadium between Liverpool and Chelsea. That's going to be interesting, as every cup game involving two Premier League sides <laughs> is. <laughs> But the, oh, yeah, yeah, this yeah. is another thing. Again, in the, in, the, in the intervening 14 years since Istanbul, Liverpool, this is only Liverpool's third trophy. So they really need to kind of ramp it up. Hopefully this is the opportunity. Well, there's a big summer ahead. Who knows what further improvements it might yet bring for Jurgen Klopp and his team. And I suppose one final word there for the big daddy himself, Jurgen. 
Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about <laughs> you and, and me. me. <laughs> Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. I wasn't a fan of his salt and pepper routine, but that's the first time I've ever seen him do anything that I didn't think. <laughs> Jürgen, you're the best. He's something special. Uh, I think his sort of holistic approach to Liverpool in terms of how he, li he lifted every aspect of the club uh, has been quite incredible. I mean, obviously, he's a... He's a great people's person. I think he's a great manipulator as well. He knows which buttons to press, whether it be fans, whether it be the ownership, or whether it just be the whole club in general, people working at the club. And, you know, when he arrived just under four years ago, he did promise a trophy within four years. Uh, Liverpool just came off the back of a really pathetic 1-1 draw against Derby, club that was still feeling sorry for, its, for, for itself after, you know, that tragic end to the 2014 season. And... Again, it shows as well that people need time. I mean, even such a huge personality as Klopp, it's taken him three and a half years to reach this point. And you think, like, you know, this time last year, Liverpool came back came back off the back of another disaster. Well, if you think the defence in the 2016 Europa League final, which he did very well to get to in his first half season, was Mignolet, Klein, Lovren, Toure and Moreno. Now, I think he, we could all agree he's upgraded the defence since then. But, just he's just done it, but he's done it bit by bit. Yeah, you know, and this yeah. season's been the, you know... Putting Allison in was the final bit of the jigsaw, and it's it's, it's made made an enormous difference. Um, and I think it's uh, but in a, another aspect of this as well is it's uh, the, the the team itself. They're grown ups now. They're very very serious. They weren't like this a number of years ago. That's Klopp. You can read more about that in the latest chapter to Raphael Honigstein's book, Bring right. the Noise, which will be out soon. I think <laughs> Raph is actually writing that chapter even as we speak. He is. Yeah. Remarkable. Okay. Nick Pavlou says, please just spend a few minutes on the draw final. And the rest, explaining your summer schedule, because I am still completely confused. Nick, good news. I'll be explaining everything right after this. Uh, listeners, if you thought the regular season was exciting, we've got international football right around the corner. Copa America, under-21s, Africa Cup of Nations. We'll be covering all of them in our regular Monday Totally Football shows from the middle of June onwards. Now, in the meantime, keep your ears peeled, which is a thing, for our series with Michael Cox, all about the best European teams of all time, which starts this Thursday. I imagine there's a Liverpool chapter in there, eh, Sash? Any Russian teams? Probably not. Have a Sorry, listen, Sash. maybe. OK, yeah, that's okay. what I shall be doing. All right. Right now, though, Sash... If you want, you can get the first episode of our brand new podcast. It's a limited edition. It's the Totally Nations League show. It's all about, Sash. Nations League. That is so true. It's got in Porto. In Porto, where you've just come back mm. from. It's got me, Tom Williams, Jack Lang and Michael Cox in it, previewing the Nations League in this fashion. If you stop the young playing, you go quite a, a far way towards stopping Holland playing entirely. So I think that'll be an important job for whoever starts up front for England to, to prevent De Jong picking the ball up in those areas where he likes to get the ball um, and, and and stopping him turning and, and you know getting getting the Dutch going down the pitch. Brilliant. If the game with England isn't entertaining, here are some facts which you can amuse yourself with with your friends. They produce six million souvenir clogs a year. That's a lot of souvenir clogs. Didn't know that. Uh, they have more bikes than people, and they eat more licorice than anyone else in the world. Not a crowded field, I'm guessing, but 32 million kilos a year. Yikes, that's a lot of licorice. They don't eat the most chocolate, though. Anybody like to guess who does? Belgium? The Swiss. Oh. Oh. Is, yeah. that, is that licorice per capita? How do you mean? 
Well, I'd be surprised if a small nation ate as much uh, outright as, say, the United States. I don't know. know, If we're we're getting into the nitty-gritty. Maybe it is per capita, yeah. God, because if they ate more than the United States... Now, that would be noteworthy. Just uh, overall volume, that would be a hell of a feat. Without, without, you'd need compulsory licorice. We we can do a follow-up podcast on this. Well, we can, yeah, we can follow that up. Oh, more red-hot analysis like that coming to you every day that there's a game played in the Nations League in Portugal. Our coverage of the Women's World Cup is also available on Spotify and only on Spotify. It's the Offside Rule Women's World Cup edition. And the previous show drops on Wednesday. Would you like a little taster of what they've been chatting to Phil Neville about? Here you are. We qualified and we won She Believes and uh, people were texting me, need to dampen expectations here. We need to just keep our feet on the ground. I'm like... Who we're... is... What, friends and stuff? Friends, uh, colleagues, yeah. everyone, because there's that fear of going to a World Cup, you've shouted your mouth off, you're going to come on with egg on your face, yeah. you're going to be that, that person. And that... it's a real England fear, it's that, an, isn't it's it? It's an England fear, but yeah. I actually think we're in a different place. Is this that... This is where we want to be. My players want to be challenging for a World Cup. I want to be managing at the top, top level every single game. I want the pressure on me every single minute of every single game. When I sat in front of the players for the first time in the manga, we spoke about what we wanted and we said, look, do we want to win this? And they said, yes, that's what we want. How are we going to do it? And they said, we want you to take us to places that we've never been. As I say, the only place you can hear Totally Nations League show and those episodes of The Offside Rule will be on Spotify, but it is completely free and you don't need a premium subscription. You also won't hear any ads on either show, so do give those a listen. (laughs) Anyway, speaking of ads, time for us to get some odds from our friends at Paddy Power. Over to you, producer Ben. Hello, listeners. For the 82nd time this season, I'm going to say thank you very much, Jimbo. It's time to speak to Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, let's move on from the Champions League and the domestic season. The Nations League is coming up. Give us the odds, please, for who's going to win this. Yeah, it's coming home part one. England are the favourites for this. Seriously. The three Lions are 13-8 to eight ahead of Portugal, who are 15-8. to eight. Holland, though, look an incredible value at 3-1. to one. Surely we haven't forgotten about that Ajax one already, while Switzerland are effectively written off at 6-1 in a 14 tournament. Ouch. Also coming up are Women's World Cup shows by the offside rule gang. What's going to happen here in France? Hmm, it could be coming home, part two. England are amongst the favourites here, but they're not the outright. In fact, there is no outright favourite. We can't split hosts France and reigning champions USA, who are both 10-3. The Germans are 5-1, and then it's Phil Neville's Lionesses at 6-1. And finally, Lee, an acca on domestic football. City, Juventus, PSG, Bayern Munich and Barcelona all retaining their titles for what will be a third year in a row. <laughs> yeah, as you've probably identified there, they're all odds on those teams. City, one of the value picks at 8-13. to 13. Uh, The best value is Barcelona, though, at 5-6. to six. The worst value, as you would have guessed, is PSG. They're 1-7 to seven to retain the French League. And even that's generous. Juve and Bayern both 2-5. to five. Stick those all together in a massive Europe-wide ACA that's 5-1. to one. It feels crazy saying all that after a season where it's been so unpredictable. But yes, we think every team of those leagues will retain their title. Join with me, listener, as I tell you that you can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. 18 plus only, begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops... Stop. Thank you, Sash. Boy, you must be tired right now. No, it's, uh, I'm buzzing with Are excitement still. High Excellent. on life. <laughs> exactly. Lucky, lucky chap. 
Yeah. What a thing. <laughs> Tell you what, though, James. Yeah. was something that excited me uh, earlier uh, early in May. Oh, right. The, the, the ice hockey. The ice hockey. I thought yeah. it was magnificent. I oh, really enjoyed the breadth of guests, the amount of work that went into it, like up to six games a day. That's incredible. Oh, for the podcast. For the podcast, did. yeah. yeah. Um, I, mean, I mean, hockey itself was exciting too, well, which I think helped as well. Is there uh, going to be a repeat next year in, in Switzerland? I hope so. I mean, uh, the, the GB have stayed up. Yeah. There were so many great stories, and the, the hockey was amazing. And a couple of games, I mean, of, of the games that I saw, two were, were absolutely extraordinary. One in which your uh, compatriots, Russia, uh, came into the second period of goal down against Sweden and Oof. then just went, no, and scored goal after goal after goal. And when they finished, they were 6 1 up, and the Swedes were just staring at the big stadium. <laughs> Videotron, going, what just happened to us? And then that same Russian team, the next game came up against a Finland side who had no NHL players whatsoever, no hope of doing anything, and they got groped. But but the Finns groped everybody. The Finns groped everybody, it's true. It's the, I, I think it's one of the most amazing. Finns, so yeah. 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 <laughs> Groke's going to grope. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing, amazing it's story. Two, two, two Janssen uh, reference that, as Sash will know. Toby Johnson, is she Moomy Trolls? Moomy yeah, Trolls. Yeah, Moomy Trolls. Yeah, yeah. Big, so, and big back in the USSR, you know. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, anyway, and, and congratulations to uh, Finnish listeners because it was an extraordinary performance again in the final then when you, you beat Canada. Well, that was great. Um, how, was, how was Slovakia? Nice. It's not like you. I, I didn't see too much of it, but it, it seemed very pleasant. Thanks for asking. And next year it's in Switzerland and, and Great Britain will be there again. And they were amazing. And it's funny how many people we spoke to, kind of the North Americans, etc., who were saying, oh, I've been to... Many championships, but I've never seen anything like them before. It was, it, was, it was great last day survival stories. And I also really like the fact that you actually end up interviewing quite a lot of goaltenders. Yeah. And I particularly liked um, the way sort of Italian ice hockey team gets treated, the way they perceive, perceive themselves, sort of the lack of money, sort of the whole glamorous thing of it all. And then they, yet in the end, they win. Yeah. It's lovely. It was So he, he was a very interesting guy, uh, Andres Bernard, mm-hmm. as the uh, Italian netminder who shot to fame because when Italy played Russia and Italy basically went the entire tournament without scoring a goal until their final match, pretty much. But they took on Russia, and of course it was just a deluge, and he stopped 38 shots before he finally... And some spectacular saves before he finally conceded one. But it ended up quite a tight game, and afterwards we spoke to him, and he said, yeah, it's a joke because the Italian national team doesn't go to the World Cup, uh, but we came here, and nobody's here. They didn't have a single journalist following them. And even in the Gazetta, which is about, what, 60 pages long? Yeah. Italy at the World Championship got a little box on page 56 of 60. Wow. It's extraordinary. But so, yeah, and then after they won the shootout to stay up mm-hmm. against Austria, and afterwards I said, yeah, how, how were those final minutes? He said, the little guy was on my shoulder saying, you're going to fail, you're going to fail. And I was saying, no, I'm not going to fail. I had to keep telling him, no, I'm going to make this save. That guy was on a mission. And he'll be there again the next guy on year. His shoulder, <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> and on the other one as yeah, well. Yeah, we, I mean, you know, we've all got one. Yeah, it's true. But Andre told that little fella where to put it. Character. Yeah, absolutely. So that'll be exciting next May in Lausanne and Zurich. Uh, good, right? Uh, before that, though, if you're into some high octane sporting drama, I can only recommend the Great Model Railway Challenge. When that gets going again, we've just started filming. Um, so the, when is it out? I don't know. It'll be the end of the summer, I suspect. So. One to look out for. I'll be there watching with my son. He loves model trains. Does he like model yeah. railways? Right. Oh, he'll, I mean, we just did the first heat. It was amazing. Wow. We watched the previous series did you religiously watch it? on Saturday morning. Oh, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Nice. Excellent. Duncan, what are you up to this summer? Well, we're going big on the Women's World Cup. So That's going to be amazing. It will be good. Um, and England, I think, have got a reasonable chance. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, the 
we'll be covering it in the same level of detail as you know any other major tournament. So it will be good to see the uptake. I think the kind of interest is going to be you know much much bigger than in previous editions. So that'll be good for sure. What about you, James Horncastle? Oh, I'll be keeping abreast of all of those things. I am going to China Are to you going follow to China? Inter on tour. Right, brilliant. So, Macau, Shanghai. Nice. Um, I think there's somewhere else, but yeah, July. So that's late July. So you know. Are you sure Inter, gonna... have they become the big story now for international audiences in City Times with Antonio Conte's arrival? I'm not sure. Has it has it happened with Lukaku now? Anybody else? Uh, not yet. Mm. Um, although that is something that uh, is ongoing, I would say. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were very much the story of the end of last week with uh, Spalletti getting the sack, Conte coming in, attending the Champions League final as the Inter coach. Um, and yeah, seeing what plans they're putting in place for next season to have a real go at um, Juventus. So yeah, quite a formidable ex-Juve little setup that they've got going on at uh, at Inter with uh, Marotta, the chief executive, and Conte there. So right. And any any developments on who's going to be in charge of Juve next year? Yeah, I think things have progressed quite well um, since we last spoke on Thursday with uh, Maurizio Sadi. Um, so it won't surprise me if there is an announcement next week. All right, all right. Uh, on on that. Well, so. we sh- we should be meeting up for a Golazzo mm-hmm. this Thursday. I can so make that. Can Gap? We'll can find gap. out. C- can I ask something? Uh, are Chelsea surprised by the fact that Sarri is so proactive in leaving? I don't think he's particularly proactive. I think uh, he's had the impression for uh, quite some time that uh, the relationship um, between him and the club. Um, has not been ideal and that uh, the club wouldn't stand in the way of him leaving. And just as he said, they shouldn't be deciding my future based on, on one game, um, you know, I think that is still true, um, yeah, be it for, for for both parties there. So I think should compensation be agreed, yeah, it won't be, a, won't be an issue. Interesting. Well, much to keep you up to date on then as the summer progresses and as detailed a short time ago, that's exactly what we're going to be doing here in the various kind of incarnations, pod incarnations that I mentioned. Good. Sasha, congratulations again. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. No, no, it's been amazing to get your first-hand take on it all. Duncan, have a great summer. Thanks, James. Look forward to seeing you again soon. And you, James. Well, we're going to do that Galazzo, eh? We are. We're going to do that Galazzo. Listener, enjoy yourself. We won't be far away. And have a great time in the meanwhile. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. 
Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.